0: Good morning. My name is Timothy Barry. I'm part of the team here at City Church. Frank, thank you so much for reading the scriptures for us today. We have been uh, actually before I start, I just wanted to remind you that every Sunday after our our our, our, our live stream, we have a call on Microsoft Teams. It's similar to Zoom, uh, where we can just we catch up, sort of like we were actually at church together after the service. Um, just to get to know one another better. Sometimes we pray for each other as well, and just to, to, to be the church together. So if you would like to join us on that call, uh, it's at 1115. Would you send an email to info at city church Wolverhampton, and we'll make sure you get joining details as well. As I was saying, we've been in this series in the book of 1 Peter, and the Apostle Peter is writing to this group of people that he calls the elect exiles of the dispersion. They're, they're believers, followers of Jesus, who've been scattered out the northern part of, of modern-day Turkey. And, and they're, they're living in persecution because of their faith, because their loyalty is different from those around them. Their primary loyalty is not to any religion or any political power or any earthly institution, but to a heavenly institution and to the king. Jesus. And so Peter writes to them to encourage them in an initial sense. That's where we're at. We're finishing out that initial part, a section of his letter this morning. And then he also writes to them about how to apply that, and we'll be looking at that in coming weeks. But if you were with us two weeks ago, three weeks ago actually, we began looking at the first part of Peter's letter, and he writes, to encourage these saints in exile about the great salvation they have received in Jesus Christ. And he writes to them about this living hope that they have, this inheritance that's guarded for them in heaven until the day of salvation, when Jesus comes back again. And then last week, we looked at the second half of chapter 1, when Peter says to them, Now, therefore, because of this great salvation you've received... Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Set your hope fully on that future grace. And we looked at four things, four commands about what that actually looks like today. Be holy because God is holy, says Peter. Conduct yourselves with reverence because you're obedient children and you want to honor your heavenly father. Love one another sincerely from a pure heart and grow up into your salvation by longing, craving for the pure spiritual milk of the word. And last week was a little more, Peter's focus was a little more on the individual within this community of people and this week peter is going to shift his focus a little bit and he's going to focus rather than on the individual within the community he's going to focus on the community this new community of individuals the new community of individuals and he's going to tell us three things about this new community he's going to talk to us about the origins where it comes from he's going to talk to us about access to the new community how do you become a part of it? How do you start belonging to it? And he's going to talk to us about the identity of this new community. And there's purpose that's wrapped up in that identity as well. And so he begins in verse four, and he tells us about the origins of this new community. He says, as you come to him, that's Jesus, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves Like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer sacrifices to God. The first thing that we learn about the origins of this new community is that Jesus is the founder. Peter says in verse four, as you come to him, the living stone. And it's hard to read that, that phrase, that, that, that name of Jesus, the living stone, without thinking of Peter's encounter with Jesus back in Matthew chapter 16. When Jesus gathers his disciples to himself and he says to them, who do people say that I am? And they give him various responses. Some say you're Elijah, some say you're John the Baptist. And then he says, he makes it personal. And he says, but who do you say I am? And Peter speaks up for the group as he often does. And he says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus looks at Peter and he says, blessed are you, Peter, because that's been revealed to you by God. And he says, upon this rock, upon the rock, not a geographical location, not a Peter himself as a person, but on the rock of his confession, Jesus says, I will build my church. This new community, the ecclesia, these called out ones, that's what ecclesia means. They belong to Jesus. He's the founder of this new community. As you come to him then in repentance, in faith, as you taste his goodness, as you trust in him. He it says, sorry, it says in verse four, as we come to him, we are being built up into a spiritual house. We're being built up. Who, who's building? Because that's what that's the, that's what the implication here is that we're being built up. Someone's doing that building. And so Jesus is not only the founder. He's also the builder. He's the builder of this new community. That's why Jesus says to Peter again in Matthew chapter 16, I will build my church. He's building it. He's building it. What are we being built into? It's a picture of a temple. You notice in verse 5, you're being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. We're being built up as a temple. If you go back into the Old Testament and you see the Israelites, and it began with a tabernacle in the midst of of a camp. And God was dwelling in the midst of his people. And then it was God in the temple in Jerusalem, in the capital city in the midst of his people. And then Jesus came to dwell amongst us in John chapter 1. And and here Peter is saying, now we don't need a physical location anymore. No, no, no. You, the church, like living stones, are being built up into a temple for God. Paul in 2 Corinthians says that the body of Christ is the temple of the living God being built up. Jesus is the founder and he's the builder as well. As I was thinking about these ideas this week, I couldn't help but but picture my kids doing an activity around the house that they do on a fairly regular occasion. They love building Legos. I've got some Duplo here because it's a little it's a little bigger. You can see it on on screen. But they love to build Duplo, and they pick up the pieces, and they start to imagine what they're going to build. And then they they lay the first block, the, the cornerstone, as it were, and they start to put them together, and they put in windows and walls and pillars, and they construct and they build. And then once they've finished building it, they take their little Lego men and their little Lego people, and they stick them in there, and they start to give them roles and identities. And, and they say, well, this one is, is me. This is, Ty says, this one's me. And, and this one is uh, you Anuk, And this is baby Yana. And this one's mommy and daddy. And this one's the plumber because the plumber came yesterday. And, and it's part of my life, my experience. And the funny thing is, is that they, as they play, their little Lego men assume their identity. My children are the blueprint for the Lego men for who they are. And in the same way as Jesus is the founder and he's the builder, he's also the blueprint, says Peter. He says Jesus is the living stone and you like living stones are being built up into a spiritual house, a spiritual building. And so we ought to take a few seconds just to look at this description of Jesus. It's he's our blueprint. That Peter gives us. He says that he is a living stone. He's a stone. In the Old Testament, there's the imagery of the rock, especially in Isaiah 26 and verse 4. Isaiah writes, trust in the Lord forever because he is the rock of ages. He's an everlasting rock. A rock is an object of trust. And so Jesus is the stone we trust in him. But he's not just a dead idol made out of wood and stone that we worship. We can't do anything. No, he's a living stone because he's been raised from the dead. He's alive. And so we trust in him. We have a living hope for the future. Peter continues in verse 4 and he says, sorry, in verse 5. No, verse 4. He's a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious. Peter says in Acts chapter 2 in his sermon at Pentecost that Jesus was killed at the hands of lawless men. He was rejected by men. Rejected, put to death. Rejected and killed at the hands of lawless men according to the foreknowledge and the definite plan of God. You see, the two are not at odds with one another. He's rejected by men, and he's chosen and precious. He was chosen by God to be rejected by men and put to death. And he did that willingly for you and I, who've been purchased, ransomed by his blood. We ought to take comfort in the fact that we too, says Peter in in, in the opening verses of his letter, that we too are elect, we've been chosen, foreknown by God. He's got us in his hand. We ought to expect that we're going to be persecuted at the hands of men like Jesus was because we've got Jesus in us. His spirit indwells us. And we ought to hope in the glorious future that we have because he is a living stone. He's alive. He's the founder. He's the blueprint. And he's the builder. And lastly, he's the blueprint for us because he also is. Is a high priest. Peter says that we have been we're being built up to be a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood and offer spiritual sacrifices to God. And Jesus is our great high priest. It says that we we, we offer these spiritual sacrifices through Jesus. He's our great high priest. He goes before us. That's what the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 10 and verses 19 through 23. He says, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened up for us through the curtain, that is his flesh, through his death on the cross, offering up his body, shedding his blood. And since we have a great high priest, that's Jesus, over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. Jesus is our great high priest who goes before us into the holy places so that we can come in and have direct access to God as part of this new community, this royal, this holy priesthood. We don't need a priest anymore to tell us how to connect to God, what we should do. No, we have direct access to God through Jesus. Jesus is the founder, he's the builder, and he's the blueprint. The second thing that we learn about this new community is access. How do we gain access to this new community? Peter continues in verse 6, and he says, For it stands in Scripture, and he's going to quote from Isaiah. He says, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. Peter says there's two kinds of people in the world. There's those who trust in Jesus and there's those who trust in something else. We all trust in something for authority, for knowledge, for safety. We all trust in something in an ultimate way. It might be self. It might be humanity at large. It might be science. It might be the universe. Hopefully it's Jesus. But we all trust in something. And whom we trust in or what we trust in is the key to how we gain access to the new community. And Peter says that, look at how he describes Jesus. He says he is the cornerstone. He's the first stone that's laid. He's the, he provides foundation for everything else. He makes sure that every other stone that's laid is laid in the right direction so that it's built up properly into a sturdy house. And so when you respond to Jesus, he makes you, as you come to him in faith and repentance, he makes you part of this new community. Every believer is part of this new community. He's the cornerstone. We build on him. But look at how Peter describes those who believe in something else. It it comes down to what you've done with Jesus. It's not that they believe in something else. It's that they don't believe in Jesus He has become for them the stone that the builders rejected. He is a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. This is not just a stone of stumbling in the sense that you trip and and you catch yourself and you look around to see if anyone's seen you because you're embarrassed. No, no, this is a fatal fall. You fall headlong into judgment, into eternity without God because you've rejected Jesus. Jesus. two kinds of people in this world maybe this sounds narrow-minded restrictive to you in an age of of discovering who you are of determining who you are and then sharing that with the world but can i suggest to you that self-discovery self-determination is actually exhausting it's isolating you're constantly relying on yourself be authentic to to prove yourself to the world in the age of social media you have to be perfect and it's all on you to make sure that your life counts for something that it means something that it has purpose and it's exhausting maybe you've tasted that trying to be yourself follow your heart you do you and actually jesus when you come to him in faith and repentance he gives you purpose and identity and freedom and community. It makes you part of this new community. And so paradoxically, true freedom is not found in rebellion and authenticity and nonconformism or individualism. It's found in surrender to the one who made you and who loves you and gave his life for you. Jesus is the door through which we gain access to this new community, says Peter. The third thing that he tells us about this new uh, this new community is its identity and this purpose again wrapped up in that. He says in verse 9, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people But now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. He ends with that really important, once you were not, but now you are. Those two statements. And the key to that in verse 10 is that we are a transformed people. Once we're no longer defined what well, we're not, we weren't a people, we had not received mercy, and now we're defined by who God is, we're his people, and what he's done for us. He's given us mercy. We're transformed people, we're a people of grace, because we didn't do anything to receive that. He gave it to us. Today is, is the 20th anniversary of the city of Wolverhampton becoming a city. It was done to commemorate the millennium, the year 2000. The queen, the queen, it was several other, Brighton was one of them. The Queen did it to commemorate the millennium. City of Wolverhampton is 20 years old today. We didn't do anything to earn that. It was bestowed upon the city of Wolverhampton. It was a grace in that sense. And that's what Peter is saying here. We didn't do anything to earn becoming a holy nation, a chosen people. God gave it to us. That's what grace is. We're a transformed people, a people of grace. And then in verse 9, he says, you are a chosen race. Paul, in, in the book of Galatians, says that in Christ, there's no longer male or female, Jew or Gentile He's not saying that those things have been erased, they don't don't exist anymore. What he's saying is that in Christ, the primary way in which we relate to one another is through Jesus, not through gender or color of our skin or anything like that. The primary way we relate to one another is through Christ. We're a chosen race. We're a royal priesthood. Back in verse 4, verse 5, he says we're a holy priesthood. We have direct access to God. Are you taking advantage of that access? You could talk to him personally. You can know him personally. He is knowable. We're a holy nation, a people for his own possession. A people for his own possession. That's our identity. And there's purpose that's tied up with that as well. Back in verse 5, it says that we are to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. Here in verse 9, it says that we, have, we are a people for his own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Paul says in Romans chapter 12 and verse 1 that our our spiritual worship is to offer up our bodies as sacrifices to God, holy and acceptable. To give all of yourself to him, body, mind, spirit, emotions, all of yourself, to give it up, don't hold anything back. And the writer of Hebrews, as well, in chapter 13 and verse 15, he says that our sacrifice is the fruit of lips that declare his name. We sing his praises when we declare who he is to those around us. That is our sacrifice of praise. We are to proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Have you told someone recently what God has done with you? For you, I'm reminded as we talk about a sacrifice of praise of what David said in Second Samuel verse 24, chapter 24. He, he's he's going to give an offering to God and he's going to buy a field to build an altar. And he and the man says that he'll give it the field to him because he's the king. And David says, "No, I'm, I'm not going to give a sacrifice to God that costs me nothing. Sacrifice." Worship to God ought to cost us something. And so as we conclude, can I ask you that question? Has your worship of God, your sacrifice of praise, has it cost you something? In terms of time, talent, treasure, has it cost you something? It's really important that we are part, each of us, a part of a local community, a local ecclesia, a local church. These are big spiritual realities, and Peter's going to flesh them out for us in the coming weeks. But these need to be physical. This needs to be a physical reality as well. You need to be part of a local body. It's a little bit of the danger of doing church online, is that we can church hop and church shop all day long. At City Church, we encourage you, if you're not part of our body, we're really glad you're here. We hope that you're blessed and encouraged by the word of God, by our time together this morning. But we really want to encourage you to be a part of a local body where you are plugged in, accountable, part of a community. How are you fulfilling your priestly role in your community now? It's frustrating, isn't it? Because we're locked down here in in England. Uh, We can't do very much. Can I give you two suggestions of what it looks like to fill that priestly role right now? The first is this. We need to take care of each other. And one of the ways that we take care of each other and those around us is by taking walks together. We're allowed to walk one-to-one to get some exercise. I've got a couple of dates this next week to do that with people. But when we see each other face-to-face like that, that encourages us. It builds one another up. And as we're in community together, we glorify God. Okay, I encourage you to make sure you're being intentional about that. The second way is when you, when you watch online and you're focused, you, you, work, you do your best to sing the songs and worship. It's hard. It is a sacrifice. It's costly emotionally, mentally, but it's worth doing. Because we glorify God, He sees, He knows. Two more things as we close. The first is this: be encouraged about the church. Sometimes we get worried about the state of the church, the church, the visible church that we can see. We think, "Oh, that's, man, it's a mess." Jesus is the founder, he's the builder, he's the blueprint for it, and he's still building his church. It's an ongoing thing, and the church is doing just fine, because Jesus is in control. We don't need to worry about the church, and actually we ought to be careful that we love the church, because Jesus loves the church and gave his life for her. We ought to be careful about how we talk about the church at large, our local churches, church is doing just fine. And lastly, friend, if you are watching, you don't know Jesus personally yet, maybe you're exploring who he is, but you're longing for the kind of community that we're talking about, a community that that, that has a purpose, that has an identity. There's belonging and meaning there. Can I encourage you to look into Jesus It's in him that you will have that sense of kinship with others who also trust and love him.